Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're rolling along. We're approaching the Quebec single track experience race. So trying to polish off training and also I, I say with these big things, it's often just the organization and gear and so forth. So yes, yeah. the to do list is real. Uh, how, how are you recovering? What are we two weeks post your altitude marathon? Yeah, I think pretty well. Although, you know, we'll, we'll get into this in next week's episode, but definitely a little bit of uh, lingering fatigue, I think. Uh, it's just been a long few weeks, really, between travel and racing and altitude. And, you know, we've had the air quality stuff going on here that, you know, a lot of the East Coast is experiencing. So definitely just a lot of factors that are leading to just a little bit of, a little bit of low levels here. Right, right. But we should get into this week's episode. We are talking to Rob Gray, who I'm going to call maybe almost one of your mentors. I mean, I feel like I've heard the name Rob Gray about a million times in the last couple of years as you've gotten more and more excited about the uh, constraints-led approach, the CLA, if you will. Right. Molly likes all the acronyms Love to get thrown around. Uh, yeah, and I would say I, I blame him for you know completely derailing my uh, understanding of coaching and movement uh, acquisition as a whole. Uh, but it's also a good thing I think you know this far into my coaching career now, maybe you know over twenty years uh, since I started coaching movement, uh, and certainly you know on bike, you know this has sort of been a new uh, a rebirth, if you will, if not an evolution, if not you know this uh, continuous improvement. Uh, so without you know belaboring it, Rob and I will talk a lot about this, and and I, we went back and forth on whether this was interesting to podcast listeners. But I think all of our listeners are into uh, skill acquisition, you know, learning how to move in different ways. Uh, so this could be new sports in our consummate athlete sort of uh, philosophy, you know, embracing different types of movement, different types of sports, being a beginner. Uh, and then we also do have a lot of coaches that listen to this, you know, past athletes who have moved on to coaching, and and those who are just really you know into everything endurance sport and sport for sure uh and i mean you can think we could talk about this in terms of mountain biking and i think you and rob talk about a bit about that a bit about more like the team-based sports but i when we started talking about this i just think about surfing honestly uh like when you go for a surfing lesson and they have you doing the like on the sand the jump ups right and then you're in the water and you're like this does not translate <laughs> right this is just the worst and it, and it may and i, I don't want to you know whenever you start talking about uh pedagogy or or learning you know teaching i'm not sure we're pronouncing that right i think you can pronounce it however you want there okay. is no correct way and this is central to our, <laughs> our conversation today but rob gray has a look we should make sure we put this together so he has his perception action podcast which is you know we'll say on the the coaching sort of i, I don't want to say nerdy but like you need to be into oh, it i was gonna say nerdy um and, and this is all sports. Rob works with some professional baseball teams. Certainly baseball is his main uh, uh, sport. Uh, but this is very big, you know, in the martial arts world. This is big in certainly team sports. You know, small-sided games are certainly part of this and, and, and integrate here as well. So it, it's, I'm not going to say it's new in the endurance sport world or, or can't work, but it's certainly more prevalent in these other sports. And I think as, as cycling knows, you know, we're always going to be behind something like a major league baseball in terms of what works and, and these things. So that's exciting for me. But you said, you know, you're, you talked about decoupling the surfing things so you're taking it out of the water so we're getting farther and further removed from the actual sport uh, arguably the most important difficult part of that sport it could be and that again it could be something that you do we do weird things all the time in sports where you have to isolate things or break them down but sort of the central uh I guess if there was a debate or, or a disagreement in the this learning or movement acquisition world, then is, is sort of between this information processing theory uh, versus what you might call nonlinear pedagogy or the constraints-led approach. Um, and, and so I thought in the book, The Myths of Sports Coaching, uh, which is another great book, we'll put that link and then the link to also Rob's two books, um, which are also great and we mentioned during the podcast as well. So we'll put all the book links uh, in the show notes. But sort of traditional coaching, and this should resonate, is that there's, you know, maybe in a 
a correct or optimal movement pattern and, and this idea of fundamental movement skill. So what we're talking about today is sort of moving away from that. So if that's like things that you believe, you know, fundamental movements, if that's something you say, which I've certainly said, uh, or that there's an optimal way to hop a log or an optimal way to do something, uh, you know, we're sort of moving, you know, perhaps away from that or it, thinking beyond that. Also that movement skills need to be broken down or simplified into key parts. And if you've ever done a, a cycling coaching course, this is obviously something we do, right? We think about like you do this step and then that step and so again we're moving maybe away from that in this constraints led approach uh also that variability or, or what we might call error is noise and not good and we want to minimize it we want to do the exact same robotic movement every time again something that we're moving away and talking about today with rob and then this idea that attention uh is often i, I would say internal but this you know says it could be implicit or in explicit internal or external depending on a stage of learning uh that you're at and again this is something where we're probably even moving more and more towards external but we i think rob and i actually talk about this a bit too but this guy this external focus and where we're focusing our attention is another sort of piece of disagreement so i thought this box out of this book uh, again the myths of sport coaching which isn't only about that uh, or about this uh, was very sort of like those are sort of the contentious issues uh, and that's so that's the past way and you know we're going to talk to Rob today about some of the the things that are just boggling my mind and that are really getting me excited about coaching again and I think if you're not interested in coaching I think what's interesting about this conversation is really just this concept that you know perhaps the way you've been trying to acquire a new skill or learn a new skill just isn't really the right way for you mm -hmm. so you know maybe this will give you a little bit of food for thought because I think what you're just saying now is like there still is a lot of nuance to all of this there, sure. there still are a couple schools of thought neither one is necessarily the exact right only way everybody is going to learn differently so uh you know if you've been just kind of like say bunny hop like if we're talking about bunny hopping if you've just been trying to do this like five step movement in the parking lot over and mm -hmm. over and over again with very little success or like you cannot take it to the trail based on that then you know hopefully this conversation helps you kind of shift that perspective a little bit and maybe give you some ideas for how to actually bring that to the trail and right. practice it in a more kind of natural and environment again the the podcast listeners and certainly coaching clients have heard me talk about the environment or the ecology and so you're thinking again about not just in a, a parking lot but if you're trying to get onto trail trying to get on trail eventually and then manipulating things like the width of the trail or the size of the log or the number of logs or something like that right where it's not just this really deconstructed or decontextualized uh situation that we end up in perfect all right before we get into our chat with rob gray a quick word from our sponsor ag1 so this is uh what we've been using for the past year and a half now every single day drinking our ag1 powder in the morning uh it's got everything you need your vitamins your minerals your uh, probiotics prebiotics adaptogens and of course greens and honestly i am so happy that we kind of came across this that we started using it for me it's just so helpful especially when we're traveling and and routines are a little off and food is a little off it's just That's so right. nice and i mean for today's podcast you know we have perhaps more coaches listening today uh you know coaches are busy people nutrition often slides you're traveling around the world you're taking planes you're you know maybe just running a busy local program where it's you know you're up early or out late or something like that as well so it's just nice to have this little bonus nutritional insurance. I like the fact that I don't need to have a whole cabinet of supplements. I certainly have in the past. This is sort of my one-stop shop, which makes life very, very easy. I also think it tastes really good, makes me hydrate in the morning, and the travel packets, so good for when you're heading to a stage race like Quebec Single Track, which is what we are doing next week, and we will have packets of that with us. So to make it easy on you to check it out, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which also tastes great, by the way, uh, plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. Again, that is drinkag1.com backslash molly h to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance and if you do i would love to know what you think it tastes like i'm going papaya vanilla but i actually don't know what papaya tastes like that's just how i feel it okay, tastes. Well, we may have to get you a papaya might have to get me a papaya <laughs> all right without further ado enjoy our chat with rob gray 
Cool. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here with someone who has, I think, challenged me and then also maybe disrupted if I, you know, it challenged me to to think about whether I know anything about coaching and changed a lot of the things I do over the last, I would say, three years. So I want to welcome Rob Gray uh, to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Peter. Yeah, the disruptive word I, I get a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I think, you know, having done coaching, uh, you know, been a coach uh, and studied kinesiology for, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. It's, I think in some ways it's good, right? I think if you don't do that, you end up with this midlife crisis, maybe, or maybe this is the midlife crisis. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it's good to kind of challenge your challenge the way you think, you know, it happened to me too, in my career. Uh, I think, it, yeah, I think it, it can be, can be really good. Okay. And so we'll speak a little bit towards or a lot towards uh, what it was, you know, that's, that's disrupted my thinking a little bit on how I coach cycling uh, and, and movement generally. But I thought to start, you know, maybe you could give us a bit of a, a, an idea of what, uh, uh, you know, a skill acquisition specialist and a professor at uh, Arizona State University does, you know, day to day, week to week here. Yeah, so I do a lot of so I've, I've done a lot of research on on kind of testing some of these ideas uh you know of good, what what makes for a good skill acquisition they're trying to design studies to compare uh different methods and uh, so i do that i still have some of those going on i have one i'm just writing up <laughs> right now um and then you know on the on the applied side i try to work with teams and organizations and to put some of these principles into practice so i do a lot of you know watching practice and giving feedback things like that and and giving coach education seminars and, and things about some of the, trying to connect the theory with some of the things coaches are already doing that's working well. Um, so I, I, you know, that's kind of what I do and writing and podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your podcast yeah. is the perception action podcast, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully people will be excited after we speak today and they can check okay. that out and learn more. Um, and then you have three great books. Again, these have been pretty foundational to, again, my last three years here trying to catch up and learn and, and figure this out and how it applies to cycling in my practice. Um, but definitely uh, you're learning to optimize movement is is the latest. No, that was the first one, right? That's the second one. Second yeah, so one. Okay. How We Learn to Move was my first one. Right. And then Learn to Optimize. And the third one, the most recent one is a baseball specific one. Right. Extreme slide approach to baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. And so I think, you know, this will be of interest to our, our listeners. You know, we have endurance athletes, we have some coaches, we have some physiotherapists. And so uh, I think everyone listening is going to be curious about how we how we learn to move. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is really what you you spend your life, have spent your life uh, doing, right? It is just sort of like, what are the the concepts, you know, are drills the way to do it? Are, are you know, how, what is the best yeah. way to learn? Um so I thought maybe to start, maybe you could just give us, you know, the constraints led approach is something that you you talk a lot about. Can you give us sort of a an overview of what that that is? Because that's what we're going to spend a lot of today talking about. Yeah. So the the um, kind of overarching thing, you know, changing view of of uh, how we you know, be are skillful is that skill is finding a a solution kind of to a problem. It's finding a, a movement that's going to work and and make allow you to achieve what you want. It's not just pulling out this one you've learned over and over and doing the same movement every time. Um, that's kind of the overarching kind of principle. So, so in the constraints that approach is the idea, a constraint. So the idea is that to, in any skill, I can really move in multiple different ways. There's, there's lots of different ways I could move to, to do a problem. You know, I could use more at more or less elbow extension, more or less knee bend, so on and so forth. And, a constraint is something that actually takes one of those options away. So the idea of the constraint set approach is instead of uh, telling it, trying to tell an athlete what to do through instruction or, or really rigid cueing or something like that, I'm going to add something to the practice environment that takes away one of the things they're doing and try to allow them to push them to find something else. Um, and through the process, sometimes you hear the term self-organization. They're going to find it on their own without the coach telling them exactly what to do. So a constraint is, a, is something in them. It can be a part of the task itself, uh, part of the environment, a general feature of the environment, or part of you, an individual constraint. Mm -hmm. Those are, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And so can you give us an example in baseball? You know, that's the sport you're most familiar with, I think. Um, you know, as far as, you know, someone's trying to learn how to bat or or where mm-hmm. would these constraints like what 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 does this mean then in practice for baseball? Yeah, so we do a lot of different things in baseball. So in baseball, we might give you a, a heavier bat or a longer bat. Um, make that those are different constraints, make you swing differently. Uh, we let you stand in a sandy uh surface that's a bit more slippery uh things like that um we let me we do so we we can change the ball the size of the ball the speed of the ball uh different things like that uh, have you hit have to hit over something in mm. front of you uh thing yeah so it's something yeah. we're gonna add to, to practice to kind of encourage you to do something else right uh, right and so these are things you know we'll say okay now there's a a target, or as you say, the surface is just different that you're standing on. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, are the cyclists listening? Uh, you know, this might be, uh, simply rather than climbing always on a paved road, it might be now we're going to go climb up a loose mm-hmm. sandy, you know, it's maybe similar, right? Like we could use yeah. the same sand example that now you have to change yeah. your position when you're climbing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now, I guess as a opposite, you know, what, what is the contention here? Cause this does get contentious sometimes as all things on Twitter and, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and science can. Yeah. Uh, so, so what the real standoff here is, you know, do people learn, uh, I guess I'm going to stumble on this. So maybe I'll, I'll pose the question to you. You know, what is the, the standoff? What is the contention here? That all seems fine. Like, okay, we're going to go climb on a Sandy Hill. Like what, what's the difference, I guess. What, what's yeah, the- there, you know, yeah, it does. And then there are some people claim that there's nothing really new about this <laughs> at all. Right. And in certain extent, coaches have been doing this for a long time. It's kind of why the why you're doing it and how you're doing it. That's that's a bit different. And um, mm-hmm. um, usually, before the typically before we you we let you climb up the sandy hill or 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 swing a heavy bat, we would tell you how teach you how to hit first or ride first, right? A lot of technical instruction. Um, we teach you. Okay, you do this, you put your feet here on the pedals, you lean back, you push your butt down on the seat, do all this, right? And then riding up the hill would be just something to do, right? Whereas the in the straight side approach, the hill is actually pull, getting you to develop the technique without all that kind of instruction and repetition first. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it's um the um it's helping you uh kind of get find a good movement solution the actual constraints themselves so we skip all that other part of uh, of the drilling and the repetition yeah that's kind of what's controversial mm-hmm. um, a lot of people i often get a reaction oh yeah the kind of these constraints and variability sounds like a great idea after you teach you learn the fundamentals right mm-hmm. that's a very common reaction so right. having a person riding a slalom or doing jumping over things on bikes like i know you do um would a lot of people? Well, that sounds great, but you got to teach them how to ride first, right? Um, but the the in the kind of alternative view is that you'll learn how to ride through solving these, dealing with these new constraints. We'll pull out the effective riding, method. right? Yeah, and I would say you know that's been if if I was to say you know what have I changed or tried to do more of again you know mm-hmm. it's not that we never pull out the cones or we never mm-hmm. you know we we still mm-hmm. start especially because there's a safety concern. Uh, in, in mountain biking, you can't just all of a sudden send someone out onto the, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. self-organize into yeah, this, this, this dangerous yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it has made me think, you know, this person can already ride a bicycle. Usually the people, I'm not teaching them how to ride a bicycle. They can ride, yeah. you know, on town trails or, you know, on the mm-hmm. road even a lot of times, but it's, you know, can we go to a, get riding sooner? Can we go on a double track, a, a wide trail, not a super mm-hmm. narrow trail, not a super yeah. twisty trail or technical, but can we go and ride and then gradually change the environment um, to make it more challenging? So today we'll go up this hill that's not too steep or not too mm-hmm. loose, but then maybe yeah. next week it's a little looser hill or a, you know, whatever it is, right? A, a bigger log or something. Yeah, no, that's, and that's kind of one of the principles within this approach is the scaling the environment so instead of breaking the skill apart which we usually want to do bring out cones or artificial things yeah let's make the hill less steep the trail wider ball come at you slower uh the bat bigger you know that so it makes it easier no one is denying you have to simplify the skill for a new learner learner you can't just throw them in the deep end mm-hmm. um, if you you know you got to make it easier somehow they can handle it but Usually, tip traditionally, we've done that by breaking the skill or taking it way out of context. 
uh, like you might right. or decomp. What's it called? Decomposition, right? Yeah, is, is decomposition, that... breaking right. it apart, and right. you know, you, riding a bike on a train, wind trainer, or something, learning pedaling technique, right? Out of context. Um, there's a great article now. Uh, recent. There's a good article recently showing how uh, the poor, the lack of transfer of training wheels, like for learning to ride. Versus right. a balance bike, like training wheels is so it's, you've created a completely different skill, right? Where you don't need to move to balance, right? Um, and it, so it doesn't really transfer very well. Versus um, kind of making the bike just more stable, uh, like a balance bike. Yeah, um, I love that you shared that because I, I'm always looking in this. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of team sports examples. Yeah, uh, in the constraints led approach, there's less mm. continuous sports or, or I guess yeah. more cycling, you know, endurance sports. But that was a good example. I thought, you know, it was very mm-hmm. like exactly. Like, I think the idea with that one was that it was like a hundred percent of the kids learned to ride, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a two wheeler with pedals by doing mm-hmm. the balance bike. Whereas it was yeah. slower with the other. It was yeah. like seventy five percent or something with the. Yeah, the- and that's that's a good point too. Like we're talking about relative effectiveness here too. Like no one's like to say that no one you wouldn't learn. Like people have been learning to ride a bike with training wheels for I did right it's just it doesn't seem to be the most efficient way mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really transfer and not you've seen a lot of people struggle like there's always that big struggle when you transition because no well, and, and I think problem. you know having seen a few different kids go through like the the strider kids are always amazing some of the stuff that they put yeah. together and it's it's pretty awesome like they figure it out on their own I had my niece just the other day and you know to your point that you know do we talk less do we demonstrate less you know I I just put my seat down on my bike and I just did a strider bike with her. And I said, we pulled out some sidewalk chalk and I, she was really into drawing the the pathway. And then we rode the pathway. And then I said, Oh, well, what if the pathway curved over? Cause she was, you know, not really turning too well. So she drew the big curve. She was going to go around and yeah. it was really, really, and no one ever said, you know, put your legs here or put your knees uh-huh. here or, yeah. you know, sit down even like she wouldn't, didn't really want to sit on the seat for a while, which is pretty key with the, the strider, right. That's where you're basing off. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's such. I think that probably resonates a little bit with adults that you know the balance bike is more true, or or they say yeah. it has more yeah. fidelity, right? That's yeah. sort of another key. Yeah, tenet action here. fidelity. That yeah, it's more similar to what you're going to actually you know perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this is where if we get into you know a baseball example, you spoke a little bit about like hitting off of tees, which I, I didn't mm. think adults actually did, but maybe that's a good parallel for you to to riff on here. You know, we have the balance bikes for kids learning to ride bikes and then tees. Yeah. But you actually said that in some cases, like major league baseball players would use a tee. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, it's still, uh, used to look, not as much as it used to, but yes, for, you know, that the idea that you need to get your swing down, like the tech, the mechanics of it, and it just makes it easier than if you don't have to try to contact a ball that's coming 90 miles an hour. So we just sit it on the tee, but um again similar to the balance weight it's completely different thing <laughs> right when you take out the, the, the need to put hit the ball out of the air right and intercept it yeah right yeah no it's still you know when people want to work on certain thing you know, about their technical aspect of it right some people still like it yeah there's definitely a movement away from them though yeah. okay and, and it's funny I, I i think i've told you i always say that um like our indoor trainers are are good you know but they're like a batting cage they're not baseball it's like a batting cage but maybe i should be saying it's like a t yeah yeah <laughs> you know it maybe because maybe yeah because a batting cage in a batting cage typically you do you're hitting off a machine sometimes mm-hmm. a coach that is actually throwing the the balls so, coming at you so you, it is bad, a little more better. true you are having to like hit the ball out of the yeah. air and, and yeah it is it still there's still some important differences um but uh yeah no, okay. it's, uh, yeah, that that's a good example. Yeah, good analogy. So the maybe that's this is a time you know your your podcast is called the Perception Action Podcast, and I think that's what we're speaking around here a little mm-hmm. bit and why yeah. this is relevant. And so maybe that if you could tell uh, the listeners a little bit about you know maybe just use the the batting cage example and, and how that varies versus hitting off of an actual person throwing a ball at you, um, you know, in terms of perception and action. Yeah, the idea is that you know this comes from a. a well-known researcher james gibson who yeah his idea he came up with the term perception action coupling so the the two that are they're always linked right 
you act based on something you perceive from your environment. You don't just, you know, act for no reason at all. Like, um, you know, I, the, I stride, the, how I stride or in, when I swing, how I stand my elbows depends on this, what information I'm picking up from the ball's flight. So I can, right. Um, you know, how I, how hard I kick a soccer ball, right. Depends on the size of the gap between the players. Right. Um, and how quickly it's closing. And, uh, and the idea that we've had a long time is you can learn the action and then just plug it in and do it at the right time, right? Uh, oh, you'll be able to pass. You'll learn how to pass a ball by just kicking it against the wall or kicking it, you know, to a player that's standing still. So we've taken the perception away and just having you act. That That's what hitting off a tee is, right? Just You're just acting without perceiving. Um and then you'll be able to put it in that the swing that you developed, you'll be able to put it into hitting the ball when it's actually in flight, which is for everything we see with the research is quite a flawed assumption because you need to develop kind of at the same time that the connection, the coupling between them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then like steering too, right? Like you, you know, the way that you, you know, the way you steer a bike depends on what you perceive about the road in front of you, right? How steep it is, how sharp the curve is, right? Um, how fast you're moving. So you need to be able to put those two together. And right. so developing them together seems to be the most logical thing to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. So this could be, yeah, like you say, the timing, you know, how much you lean the bike, how you yeah. lean the bike. Um, I guess shifting would be another one that comes to yeah. mind where, you know, the yeah. environment's telling you it's time to shift and that might mm -hmm. be, you know, you're feeling your cadence. It might also be, you know, perceiving the, the hill yeah. coming towards you. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now you say, keep them coupled at the end of your podcast yeah. to go off of that. And yeah. and so that's, I guess what you're referring to is, is perception action, right? Yeah. As much as possible, you want the, the actions you're making being driven by the information that, you know, that that's going to be the environment, um, mm -hmm. you know, you want to, you know, the other big, you know, we use T's and, and, uh, training wheels. The first, the, the other example we always bring up that everybody hates is dribbling around cones in soccer, right? You're, you're doing an action that's completely purposeless, right? The, the plastic cone, why would you, why do you need to go left or right around a plastic cone? It's just a piece of, you just go, go right over it. Right. If it right. was a real thing. Um, you go left around a player because they're coming at you from the right to take the ball away from you, right? It would be like practicing steering your bike, just turning the wheel for no reason, right? You, you know, so the idea is keeping them coupled, having the action always linked with the information that drives it, right? That's what makes it functional and purposeful. Sure, sure. And so in soccer, the example would be that like the cones are, are in the game. They're actually people who are yeah. mo moving all around and, and yeah, picking and you give out. you information that about how, how you want to move around them. Yeah. And right. When, how close they are yeah, and yeah. What which way they're gonna, you know, try to go, which way they're leaning, you know, things like okay. that. So yeah, that's so that's kind of the 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 general idea of what we want to try to do. Um, okay. Again, it makes seems to make a lot of sense when you say it, but, but surprisingly, we lose it, you know, um, a lot. And you know, um, you know, I have I've seen you know, or even just some. Another contention is no, nobody practices this way, this kind of way you're with tees or whatever, you know, cones. But I see it all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And then recently, with my kids doing like some tennis practice, you know, they practice serving into an empty court. Mm -hmm. trying to get the forehand stroke down, right? The proper technique where your feet are, where you're hitting the ball, right? And the idea is if you put an opponent there on the other side that you're trying to get the ball away from, you'll develop the actual, like there's a purpose to your movement then getting the ball away from your opponent rather right. than just the movement itself. You know? Right. And visual information. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and I think there's the reality, uh, you know, I'll read this quote from, I think it was from your first book, um, the flawed assumption that we must decompose skills and teach fundamentals before we play the game is killing youth sports for many. I thought that was a bold, a bold statement yeah, for it's you. Pretty, it is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I, I think, you know, um, I think a lot of those kind of decomposing drills is, are, um, you know, they're boring for one thing, right? There you you're waiting in line to dribble a ball around the cone mm -hmm. or hit a ball into an empty court. 
Uh, so I think it's kind of taking some of the fun out of it. I think also the focus on the technical, like, oh, you have to kind of in kids, I can't do that movement, right? Then they, oh, I'm not athletic, I'm not sporty, and they kind of move away from, from those things. Right. I, I think it's really just kind of takes some of the life out of of, of sport for people. Like come, in that tennis example, like there are ways they scale tennis with bigger, yeah. is it bigger balls, smaller rackets, well, something yeah, so like it's this, bigger, right? uh, smaller rackets and lower compression balls that don't bounce as high. Yeah. Right. So then they can uh, play sooner. Yeah. You can play sooner. That's what they came <laughs> With your for. friend, like you yeah. came to this camp yeah. and now, you, you know, you yeah. get to play with your friend. You Imagine. To, yeah. You didn't come to try to do a beautiful forehand into an empty court. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um yeah mm -hmm. that was kind of my provocative trying to get people's attentions statement statement yeah it, well yeah, yeah i was glad i highlighted that one i came across it in my kindle highlights yeah. there so i was like oh this is a good one yeah. my researcher scientist kind of side that's very hard for me to do right we're always the research side we're always overly probably say overly cautious about making any kind of claim like of importance of something our evidence might suggest that maybe if this was all happening, this might occur. Right. right. That's the conclusion right. of a scientific paper. So I'm trying to get kind of people's attention more and kind of challenge their thinking. You got to be a little more uh, assertive. But this is, this, <laughs> yeah. I think this is, you know, whether it's youth sports or just in general, right? Like I'm, I'm signed up for another coaching course. You've had to almost be my therapist on some of the calls we've had where I've just been like so torn about some of the stuff that I like either have to teach other coaches or, uh, you know, that the way it's been done. Uh, but it, a lot of it is lining up and not moving for mm -hmm. a couple minutes. And then you get to mm -hmm. try it once because it's safe, you know, yeah. I guess, like, I, I don't know. It's, especially in a grassy field, it's just like, well, why can't we just all explore like a, a, a safe grassy environment? Maybe we could build just like I did with my niece, you know, some sort of route that we're following mm -hmm. that looks like a trail in the field. You know, it's a little constrained, but it's just, you know, you can ride over it, you know, off the trail. Uh, maybe there's some options in there, but then at least everyone's moving mm -hmm. until they get fatigued and they can take a break when they like, right. But yeah, it's, yeah. that's, that's, I guess what I've moved towards is like, can we get them moving really fast? Yeah. Like, hey, how's it going? You know, safety talk. And then can we get them moving and try and minimize the lining up, you know, for yeah, one for, for one sure. rep. Yeah. For one rep. But yeah. Yeah. One, yeah, definitely. That's you know, that's the way I try to go too with, you know. Um, if you want to practice serving, why not put another kid over on the other side repracticing returning? Mm. it's not it doesn't seem you know it's not that complicated but I and time know. efficient yeah. yeah yeah well and that would be a, another one you've brought up there too is you know yeah. you've brought these these kids or adults together and, and the game you know cycling is in, included in this like it generally involves other people which would be mm -hmm. perceived in your environment yeah um and, and but then we get together and we don't do anything together yeah. while we're together yeah for sure uh i think i have a say i've said this in various ways but i was Something like the best technology ever invented for training in team sports is the other players, right? We want people to play with some weird device. Just play against other players that are there. They've been mm -hmm. waiting. Kids have been waiting all week. They've been messing around in their background. Yeah, there was a Twitter. There was a few weeks ago. Someone posted a video of a bunch of kids lined up kicking balls off wall back to themselves. Um, and people went crazy, of course. Um you know, a lot, rightly so, a lot of people, you know, that's something kids could have been doing all week by themselves. Now they finally have teammates in a field and the nets and you get them to do that again. What's right. going on? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so again, it's kind of, it's kind of not to say there's no value in that. Um, but again, it's the, it's the efficiency of you know, and how much can we get the most out of practice time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. keep them coming back. Really, yeah, right? exactly. Keep them motivated and challenged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, okay. From there, these are all good. I think we're covering, you know, just some of the okay. things like there's probably a lot of questions that folks are having, but um the one thing that caught my eye that I'm trying to think of way different ones that are related to endurance sport and continuous mm -hmm. sport. Yeah. Um I guess maybe that's a question we can start with, and then I do have a few in that direction. But do you see limitations in applying the constraints led approach and ecological dynamics do you see a a, a limiter you know i'm calling them continuous sports correct me if this is yeah. the wrong term but uh something like cycling where we're doing it you know for an extended period of time there's not really yeah. whistle breaks or pauses in play um what do you yeah, think like is there um, limits there 
Yeah, I think it's I think I think you just have to think about it differently. Um I know it's applied to swimming a lot. There's a lot of good research uh, mm-hmm. and there's I think there's a book coming out in that same series my baseball one is. I think there's a swimming one coming out. Okay. I think it, it brings up some different issues like um you know the I I, th- I tried to get this in my second book uh the efficiency of your movement because a lot of times we just talk about you know whether a movement's effective or not right did you hit the ball or not right but you know if you if you turn baseball into like cycling where you had if you had to swing 500 times in a game mm-hmm. right it, it's going to start to matter how much energy you're expending when you swing is going to be as equally important as whether the swing works or not right so i think that's something that's a bit different um Mm-hmm. Well, the strategies, right? Like you yeah. might, I see this with, I call this, uh, I pick on junior boys, uh, they're, they're, you know, lots of energy and, you know, yeah. all testosterone. And so they generally pick strategies that are like an 11 out of 10. Yeah. And then they crash in the race or they, you know, yeah. blow up and they can't finish the race. They don't do very well. Right. Uh, cause everything's at 11. Yeah. No, I uh, used to see that. I used to cycle with a group of their bees. Usually it's guys, right. They put a super high gear and they're yeah, hammering away, and they're way ahead of everybody mm-hmm. to start. And then there's someone else that's spinning in a really low gear, right? Eventually, woo, see yeah. you later. pacing yeah. a bit more. Yeah, um, I actually, I'll, I would be remiss. My brother is a huge baseball fan and so forth, and so he's been telling me about the pitch clock. Have you in, on this topic of efficiency and endurance and stuff? Has there been yeah. any changes as far as because I this is exactly what we're speaking about here, I think. is you know, now they have to pitch more like faster. So then yeah. it, it is a bit of an endurance challenge for some of these pitchers. Yeah. So, yeah, I think pitch spot clock is a great, it's an, a constraint, right? It's a like, perfect example of something you add to the performance environment that changes what you can do, right? You can't have huge long rests between pitches anymore. Um, I don't know if we know, there's people, a lot of kind of anecdotal things people are saying about whether there's going to be injury. I don't know if we probably won't know that until another year. There's a lot of interesting strategy things now uh, coming uh, with, it's having as much effect on hitters, interestingly, because right, um, they have to kind of get ready a certain time. Uh, the pitcher's kind of controlling what's happening a bit more. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see whether it actually, you know, there's any effect on, injury rates or fatigue, you know, having to go at a bit quicker pace. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely making the game shorter, which is what it was supposed to do. Um, and everybody seems to like, so, mm-hmm. um, but we'll have to see, um, you know, uh, you know, and in baseball, there's also, you know, the, there's a real push to throw harder, right. So, you know, you want to come in and throw 95 or <laughs> higher all the time, which has changed kind of, uh, pitchers are going way shorter in games than they did when I was a kid, for sure. Um, you know, there not, not very many pitchers go the whole nine innings anymore. That almost never happens because, hmm. um, you know, they're too much pressure to kind of throw high velocity. And there's too many guys. If you're not, then there's guys waiting there in the bullpen that can do that. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I, so I think that's one of the differences um, between um, that and – um, you know, then also, you know, I think there, you're, you probably have like a longer term, like a lot of times the we talk about goals and, you know, in performance, again, trying to relate to endurance sports, it's much longer term goal and kind of, um, kind of planning for the future, right. Uh, in, in endurance sport. And you mean, and as far as the, to, like when you say long-term, you're meaning like at the end of my 90 minute race or six yeah, hour race. Yeah. yeah I'm that's not what trying I'm to achieve, just make a pass right now or shoot a goal right now. I have to kind of right. think in the longer term yeah. or even get through, you know, this batter, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. the goals, you know, but I think, the, the, yeah, I think there is some fundamental differences, um, between mm-hmm. them, but I, I still think, you know, that you can apply uh, a lot of these things, um, I still think, you know, the the fun the idea that you need to come out with be able to vary your salute, like how you are gonna ride up that same hill if yeah, if it was a loop course where and when you do it the fifth time, it's probably gonna be very different than you did it the first time, right? Because you're you're fit you're fatigued now. Right, right. Um, so being able to adapt to kind of changes uh, in your environment. Yeah. You spoke to me early when we were in one of our early consults about um 
the the perception you know that there's different constraints we can have environmental which we mm-hmm. spoke a lot about in task you know the, this is the pitch clock it got quicker right i think that's a task constraint mm-hmm. um and then mm-hmm. the last one is sort of the individual and within individual constraints there would be fatigue right yes or, or fitness and, and you mm-hmm. i think mentioned to me that there's been a study where the hill steepness you know, like the hill appears <laughs> bigger, mm. you know, if you get tired or you have less fitness, can you just speak yeah, to that? Yeah, that this is a concept that's been fairly uh, called em- embodied perception. It's the I- idea that we we don't really see the world in absolutes, right? You don't see the the a hill as um, forty five or whatever degrees, right? Even though you know, as it's physical, you see it relative to you what you can do. Like you see, you perceive climbability, not slope, mm. really. And yeah, there's been a bunch of the first studies really were uh, by a person named Dennis Prophet and his students. They actually did had people stand in front of a hill and judge the slope. So they had to both verbally and and they had to actually set a little device to match the slope. And he did a bunch of manipulation, but one of them was he put a heavy book of backpack full of books on them, right? So it'd be more difficult to climb. And um, people actually would set the slope as higher when you, you gave them the backpack full of books and then there's been several different variants of that since um, looking at people's level of fatigue people how um, there's been a really interesting say look at how people choose between the escalator and stairs in like a mall or something and that seems to be related to the perceived you know hmm. low perceived. so yeah you kind of perceive the world in terms of what you can do with it so yeah if you're more fit less fatigue you're probably going to see hills as more climbable yeah that's the idea, yeah. And I've I've shown the same thing kind of in baseball. Uh, you know, batters that are doing well or more skilled or have higher bat speed, the ball looks bigger to them. They perceive the ball as bigger. Yeah. Right. And this gets into this concept of capabilities, right? Where yes. yeah. someone who maybe has, you know, I guess the pitcher would be able to throw faster or the batter can swing harder or the cyclist mm-hmm. has more. Yeah, I guess well, I guess we could call it fitness, but you know, in terms of their their threshold or their VO two max or yeah. these different aspects, right? They they would have different perception of a hill, right? Someone yeah. who's a Tour de France cyclist probably wouldn't look at most hills as very challenging. Um, a new cyclist would yeah. <laughs> new cyclist would try and not do any. Yeah, 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 right? for sure. Okay. Yeah. And that's maybe one of the things, you know, when I think about our sport, you know, cycling and, and a lot of endurance sports, there's sort of the skill aspect where maybe you are hopping the same log many times in a field or, you mm-hmm. know, on the trail. Uh, and then there's the actual like sport where we're also, you know, going hard and racing, but then mm-hmm. performing that embedded within that. Um, and I don't think it's entirely different than, you know, you're learning to swing a bat, but then going yeah. to a baseball game where there's yeah. 50,000 fans and, you know, you're trying to achieve goals within a game. Um, but do you think it's it's different in some ways? Like I'm trying to think of, you know, equestrian would have their cross country versus, you know, practicing with the horse. Uh, yeah. Skateboarding maybe would be similar in some ways. What do you think? Where they're, you know, just you messing around or practicing out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it's similar. I think there's some differences, uh, you know, you, you know, different, obviously in pressure and competition changes the environment, you know. Um, there's some key differences, um, but I think what we're trying to do is, is lessen those, right? Make it more, that's what you're trying to do. Make, you know, make the, the practice environment less, the distance between them less. Um, sure. Um, but I also think, you know, the, one of the things that I think I thought we sort of with the individual ones, uh, I like to differentiate the difference between like action capacity and a skill, like obviously having stronger leg quad muscles. Well, what, the way I like to say it, that gives you the potential to be a better cyclist. It doesn't automatically make you a better cyclist. Sure. Say, right. Because the idea is it's going to give you more options, more movement solutions. You can blast right up that hill. You can, you know, you're strong enough to jump over that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but you have to kind of take them. Um, the problem is sometimes we like to treat skills like their action capacities, like agility, like we can store it up and you can pull it out later. Um, gotcha. that's the kind of the way I look at it, but, but yeah, no, I think, yeah, you're right. There's kind of, there's these kind of more, uh, closed training environments with where we're not, don't have the full game there. We don't have all the pressure of the crowd, the score. Um, and, and then we hope they transfer into competition. That's what we're, we're hoping for. Mm. You know, we, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and obviously you have to have that, right? You can't. There's no way we can like in my sport. You can't baseball. You can't get the whole all the whole teams together out on the field just to practice hitting every time you want to hit, right? I mean, it's right. not practical. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true. Like some cycling disciplines, like the indoor ones, like velodrome cycling, like you, you can't access the track at all times. So yeah. you might not be able to ride on the track, which is interesting, right? So then they have yeah. to ride outside, which is, you know, yeah. way more chaotic in some ways. And not yeah. all, not only, I guess, left-hand turns. Yeah. 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 And I was, I would say like, even if you could do that, you don't, I don't think you'd want to anyways, like the practice, like a game is uh, the competition is not always the best lo- way to, environment to learn in i always mm. you know if you really want to learn like jumping over something on a mountain bike you don't actually get that many instances you don't get different variations of it in a race mm-hmm. right if you want to learn on that specific part of the skill you probably want to pull it out and emphasize it and create different ways mm-hmm. you can control how the person is doing it um so yeah i think you definitely but you definitely you want to try to make better connection between the two which is this principle called representative design you want the print the practice environment to be more like the competition environment in, in particular in several like key features like we've already talked about the coupling the information mm-hmm. the action the action needs wants to be similar or similar um, right. action fidelity yeah Right. And the one I've been, you know, this is, it goes with experience a little bit, but, you know, I spoke a little bit about maybe just making so that there is like a loop that someone can ride, even if it's a simple loop, you know, Mm -hmm. with one or two logs on it, or maybe options on the logs they take Mm or, you know, something like that. And the coach could certainly manipulate to add corners or something beforehand to slow them down. Uh, So that would be one. Is is that for sure? That's a run the really key having decision-making is what's missing from so much of practice, right? Um, the, in my, the baseball one, hitting off a tee, there's not a decision not whether you do or don't swing at it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to a game and you wonder why pitchers, batters swing at pitches way out of the strike zone. Well, you didn't practice that decision of swinging or not, right? Uh-huh. At all in practice. Um and so, yeah, so, it, or what, what route to go around an obstacle, whether to jump over it or go around it, right? Mm. But as much as you can get multiple for decisions and options for the, you want to have that in practice as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the one that I've, like, I'm trying to do more is when someone's, you knows what they're doing, like they have the basic, you know, they have the. Mm-hmm. you said capacities or uh, action yeah. capabilities mm-hmm. you know they can hop the log but then making sure that that's then you know if they're doing intervals say rather than trying to do them indoor certainly but then you know not on the road but doing them off-road on a course maybe that has a couple logs mm-hmm. maybe more logs than would be even in the race so then mm-hmm. again that we have that uh efficiency as you say right like you're yeah. using a strategy that actually you might use when you're <laughs> cross-eyed yeah. and, and your heart rate's really high right yeah yeah for sure and we do that, you know, in baseball, when there's a certain type of pitch a batter struggles with, you know, we get, can give you lots of reps of that in practice mm-hmm. um, in the right way. But um, so we can, you know, hone in on where you need to improve re- and, and improve. And that's, you know, one of the fun ideas, like deliberate, the idea of deliberate practice. Anders, Anders focus on your weaknesses mm. that you need to get better at. That sounds uncomfortable. Like yeah, to, to it, do it things is. you're not good at. Yeah, it is. It's people don't really like it, right? And there's some uh um there's a there's some wonderful work by uh Canadian researcher Janet Starks, one of the who basically she went and observed and, and read through people's training diaries and of what I think she did a lot of work with figure skaters, hockey players, a whole bunch of different disciplines. And she basically found that we spend majority of time practicing things we're already good at. Right, because it's very rewarding and satisfying, right? But that's mm-hmm. not how you get better, right? Practicing what you're already good at. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do a little bit of that. Um, I might uh, I used to do a lot of running, um, and sort of like marital distance running, and I can make it so most people that when they go out and tr- do running training run at kind of a middle speed because mod- it's very rewarding. Why oh, I ran it, I went and ran yeah. 10 miles today, boom. You really, if you want to get better at kind of marathon running, you really should be running super slow to recover or working on speed, which mm-hmm. are not as fun at all, right? So everyone kind of focuses on that that range of right you know, feel good 
Um, but yeah, you know, we got to work on what we're not good at. If we really right. And usually people are one or two of the yeah. camps. They're either very high intensity and they try and, you know, just beat themselves off every day or, or they're, you know, they're the long, go long, long, long and always yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for That's sure. Finding that yeah. middle ground. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, you know, and, you know, cycling, I, I use this, the term from, you know, I've heard it in running and cycling. There's a lot of junk miles in practice, right? You're just doing it for to add up the total and it makes you feel good where they're not really focused on anything specific, mm -hmm. right? They're just, I went 20 miles today. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. And that's, you know, the, the other piece that I've been pushing some clients on too is, you know, so much of the event they're preparing for probably involves people, which it's hard, mm -hmm. right? It's no mm -hmm. different than baseball. It's hard to you know, accumulate a yeah. hundred people, you know, your hundred yeah. closest friends to go for a bike ride every yeah, day exactly. yeah. just to have, you know, uh, you know, tr training that's true to the, the, the environment. But you know, if it's zero out of your training for an event yeah. that has people in it, like this is where we get nerves and this is where uh -huh. we get, you know, the group dyna dynamics, right? You're not attuned as they say to, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, reacting to the group or the attacks or the drafting or riding close yeah. to people. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah and so you're right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Even working with one other person and practicing, getting really mm -hmm. close to them and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I noticed that when I used to cycle, there's some big events down here in Arizona, Tour de Tucson's, mm -hmm. tons of people, but it's quite scary at the start, I find, because yeah. there's a lot of people that are not used to riding that close to other people. Right. Yes. Mean, people make sudden reactions and, ah, and then you get the you know, dynamics of a chain reaction. Um, That's so, it. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, um, and then, yeah, kind of the, the dynamics, you know, of, going around a corner when there's lots of people and right there's a lot lot to it that we take out mm -hmm. yeah and just even a, a twistier route right if yeah. there's going to be corners in your event yeah 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 the, there's kind of within this kind of yeah as much as you can get you know sometimes we use the term, term specificity similarity between the practice environment you know i think we can take that too far like everything has to be the same mm -hmm. as much as you can i think if you know what kind of course it is, I think try to incorporate some of that in practice, right? If you're going to do a race in the heat, right? Probably should try, come train in the heat, get used mm -hmm. to it. Um, if, you, if it's going to be super early in the morning, I probably get used to getting up and, you know, mm -hmm. your routine, those things like that. Yeah. And, and you probably in that same as you, you were mentioning about the the easy training versus the hard training, like probably in baseball, you would find this as well, that not every session has this amazing fidelity. It isn't, you know, mm, exactly no. the same, but, but you maybe try to get a couple of your key sessions of the week that are closer. Is, is that For how sure. you think about yeah. baseball? Yeah. You have to, but you balance. So I think overall, you know, I think we can periodize it kind of just like we do with weight, weight training or something like that, or training for a marathon where, some of your sessions, you're right, are really focused on skill development. You're going to be very chaotic and challenging. And other ones, you know, closer to the competition. Or probably, you know, baseball is famous for this. You know, batter, if you watch batters and batting practice before a game, they're hitting off pitches that are at least 20, 30 miles slower than they're going to face in the game, right? So the fidelity is very low. But they're not really working on developing a new swing or adjusting. They're just getting confident and kind of getting ready for the game. And so it has a totally different purpose. Yes. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think you want to make sure. Yeah. You would, you'd wear yourself out if everything was super high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no you're stress. always yeah, just yeah. on the limit. Yeah. yeah with yeah. chasing people down. Yeah. Uh, maybe to finish, uh, we spoke about this idea of focus of attention, or am I thinking about where my butt's going? Is my butt yeah. going back when I'm doing yeah. a log hop? Or am I thinking about an external target, maybe about, you know, putting the bike, there or you know yeah. putting the front wheel here or yeah. something like that hitting a target can you speak us because i think that's probably a big takeaway for the athletes listening certainly yeah. is this this just switching the focus of attention when we're learning can you just give us a you know we yeah have, for, you know, what do you think sure i think um the um you know i i think we were talking before we started recording i see this a lot with athletes you can almost see like smoke coming out of their ears they're thinking so much about their technique and the mechanics and there's a very long history of research by led by a person named Gabby Wolf from UNLV showing that that's really counterproductive over when you kind of think about your body too much, you, you kind of constrain yourself. You, you don't self-organize it effectively. Um, 
So we want to get, yeah, your attention out there onto the environment or in uh, cycling, the, the, your bike counts as an external object. It's not your body. So even just thinking about your, your, your pe the pedals instead of your feet, people would consider that a shift from external to external. Um, yeah. So I think as much as we can, we want to try to get our thoughts, um, especially in competition or um, another effective way to do it is to at you know, create an external object when one's not there, which is using an analogy, like putting your butt back, you know, if, if you thought about sitting in a chair, right? Well, but you already have a seat, I guess a bike used to say sitting down. So when I want to get people to bend their legs more, their knees more, when they're doing like a free throw in basketball, you talk about, you know, imagine you're sitting in a chair, right? So you, you're getting them to do that action by thinking about a, an, an external object. You know, mm. that's called sometimes called learning by analogy. Uh, but yeah, in general, that doesn't mean like uh, I think in my new book, I tried to that doesn't mean you can never like talk about your body or think about your body. I think but really like when you're the little kind of really focused on the skill, the last thought you have in your head when you're jumping over something. Ideally, you want it to be on like something external uh, going over, you know, the log or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, lifting the wheel um, things like that. Yeah. Hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah that's something that you know it took a long time slowly kind of getting in there um but that there is a very large body of research showing kind of the benefits of that external focus usually you get more information too, feedback um better when you're focused on the external environment about the your kind of what the outcome of your action you see mm -hmm. where your wheel is when it crossed that log or whatever Mm -hmm. and, you know, you learn how much you need to pull uh, on the bars, yeah. And so in the log hop example, it might be just trying it a bunch of times and trying to think more about getting over, right? And looking yeah. over, looking past yeah. or looking yeah. at or trying different things, as you say, solutions, like you're searching for a solution. Yeah. But less thinking about, oh, my knee was was yeah. not bent, you know, yeah. or something there, like, yeah. and, and letting there be. Back enough, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes it's helpful. Like, and then you can start thinking about like, how did that sound, you know, in cycling, yeah, especially for a log sure. hop, it's pretty yeah. obvious, you know, when it goes well, it sounds really good or in a jump, yeah. right? There's a very <laughs> yeah. specific sound that you can hear when someone takes off from a jump really nicely. Yeah. And when they land, usually there isn't, yeah. you know, lots of clanking and dinging. Um, and yeah. so you would try and think about some of those things. Uh, the analogy, the other one that seems to go really well, and, and this is... Uh, taken from something that uh, one of the courses I've done actually is, is using analogies with animals. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the one position we have ready position and you must have that in like basketball and stuff like that. Right. Where you do you. Yeah. The start kind right. of start position. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like you're saying with the sitting down on the seat or getting <laughs> mm -hmm. a little lower in yeah. the knee. So yeah. Basically in baseball infielders too, we kind of. Exactly. Like, yeah. Kind of and I would say you... it's, it's the same in every sport, right? You're yeah. getting ready for something yeah. to happen. You're getting lower. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So we have a few and the one, you know, we sort of have a neutral where you're just sort of like standing up on the bike and it's not, you know, you're not doing it. You're just sort of waiting and you might get lower from there once something happens, but you're sort of just waiting um and that one you know the one that seems to go really well is giraffe position and i always because oh, really? yeah. neutral sort of clunky people don't get it but they just you say can you look like a giraffe on your bike and even with adults they giggle and yeah yeah <laughs> i was working with a 65 year old woman the other day and, and she was like, oh i remember giraffe position <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah it's, it's it's i think it's i like that it brings out kind of the creativity and the fun of it mm -hmm. uh, yeah and i do i have used uh um I use that to get kind of people to change their movement, move like a sloth or move like a, you know, um, yeah, those can be really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. People kind of carry an idea without getting really, you know, bent, you know, snap you focusing on your body or saying a lot right like again with a group of you know 20 kids you can say like okay we're going to ride across the field and can everyone show me what a giraffe looks like yeah and, and we've just yeah. taught them neutral position in you know 10 seconds you know yeah exactly yeah <laughs> right yeah, and then go. you can yeah. play simon says or something right? yeah. and the games are in and at least then you're sort of it's fun right and everyone's moving but you yeah. can sort of like you know and this is a safety check you know does everyone understand how their brakes and their you know can they stand up and mm -hmm. yeah 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 no, then the, the yeah the words we kind of use sometimes emerge just comes out on so well, yeah. unless talking again what some of my problem with some of the coach education is that we end up 
you know, there's this like very standardized way that you teach things to people, apparently teach things to people where we're, we're describing it first. You have to tell them in words what they're doing, and then you have to demonstrate it for them in cycling at least, which is really odd when I think about like an NFL coach showing a, you know, a quarterback or a linebacker, how to throw a ball or something. I'm like, I don't know if this is how this works. Mm -hmm. And then they get to try it one at a time. So we're like 20 minutes into this lesson and and we figured out how to do our neutral position. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, my colleague, my co-author, I'm on the baseball book, Randy Sullivan calls that twit coaching, right? Uh, you tell them what to do. You watch them and do it. You immediately tell them what to do wrong and you tell them again. Right. Uh, yeah. That's what he calls twit coaching, (laughs) but yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's totally the, the kind of role of the coach is the instructor, the one that knows what to do. And so you tell them and they, you know, you try to correct them and get them to repeat it. Um, yeah, that's fundamental to everything. You know, I had an interesting, um, I've had interesting, I've been doing pottery classes with my wife. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, they, they, the first one we went to, they, they told you like how to, on the wheel, how to pull it. And I really struggled. I was like, oh man, I wish I had a class where they just let, uh, and it's also, they're really full because they really want you to have something to take home. Right. Mm. So they're, they're telling you how to make a vase. And, and I was like, can't, I know if it was me, I said to my wife, if it was me teaching this, I would just give you a lump of clay and say, mess around, try to make it taller, try to make it wider. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awful in the end, but you're going to learn <laughs> like the feel of it and what, what hand actions cause what things with the clay. And I'm like, that's what I would do. <laughs> and we went to a different place and actually they did more of that. And it was much huh. better. Um, yeah, maybe have, they could I just like, made anything really and then they could say, Rob, what if you used your fingers in this way on yeah, this ugly yeah. pot that you're making? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they, uh, yeah. Why don't you try putting your hand straighter? Yeah, yeah. We had a similar with salsa, very like stepwise, like left, yeah. right, and then pause the music. And I, I think I might have told you the story, but I was just like, couldn't they just pretend it's like a salsa club and just come around yeah, and, and exactly. help out? And yeah. Yeah, I, I long many years ago, I think I talked about this on one of my podcasts a long time ago. I mean, I did the same with, with a partner. And yeah, I remember it was tap, step, rock, rock. Like it was very mechanical. Right. Was so, and you're so, it was no fun at all. And, and you could just, probably do the first, you know, song like that with the music yeah. going. And then we get like yeah. tap, tap, whatever it is, wait, wait. Yeah. And uh, one, two, three, four. A, a kind of another print uh, illustrates a principle I really like. It says, that doesn't mean you can't kind of work on certain things as a coach, but let them try it and then pull it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Let, let people try to dance and then like, okay, dude, man, you're not moving <laughs> your hips at all. Right. right. You know, try it. Like grab, you know, instead of the way we do it now is well, let's teach everybody the mechanics first, then put it, let them dance. Mm-hmm. Like we spend, we're going to spend an hour on the, the stepping pattern just put them and let them move to the music and see what comes out. You'll be amazed. That's like what it will happen. I do in tennis when I like to coach it. I yeah. Just hit the ball over the net and you'll, you'll see people will put the one foot in front of the other naturally. Um, if you, you know, kind of set it up right. And they'll do the swing in an arc path like you want. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Then you can kind of pull that back out. Sure. You add something to make kind of move it in the direction you want. Um, you know, like analogy, like pretend you're surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that these kind of things, but the idea that we have to build it up from the blocks first is like, yeah, like I like yeah, South Side the same experience. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was it was so mechanical, and you know, you weren't you had no rhythm at all, right? But yeah, like I said, but this idea, this kind of model of learning that you coach going instructor going to tell you what to do, you try to repeat it, they're going to correct you. It's so fundamental. We've lost it, you know, that it's not even some people don't even see it as an assumption anymore. That that's mm-hmm. a way you learn. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with the pottery, you, everywhere you see it. Um, right. That's why a lot of people I say, you know, I, people say, oh, I don't need any of this kind of theory stuff. You have a theory of learning. It's just so d- drilled deep down into your way you coach. You've forgotten it. Mm-hmm. Right. This idea of you know repeat repetition that we need to repeat the same movement over and yeah, over. Yeah, to like, feed it into that that yeah. computer brain of yours. Yeah. And, then, and then you'll and, know how. Yeah. Yeah. And that that you know that there's in general there's one ideal technique to do things. 
Um, so yeah, I, I find it really interesting, you know, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, reading, I, I rec, there's a book I've just been reading too. I'd recommend here. Um, it's called the beginners. It's by Tom Vanderbilt. It's about, um, it's about learning, uh, new things as, later in life, kind of the, the, the value of that and like taking pottery classes or salsa, um, the kind of the beginner's mind. And I, I think in the book, he learned, learns how to surf uh sing and he ends up making he loses his wedding ring surfing so he learns how to make jewelry and he does all these <laughs> things to kind of and his daughter joins him and, and some of the things and yeah it's really kind of the exploration of kind of the the joy like learning can be super fun i think if we let it be mm -hmm. um, and um but we don't often <laughs> you know um i often see you know you see kids in the park playing they're playing baseball or soccer or whatever before the practice starts and they're having so much fun yes. they've made up their own weird game they're playing and then would the whistles show up and uh, <laughs> it gets all we have fun. the same thing with cycling which i've told you yeah. about is you yeah. know we have the little jumps and little whoops yeah. and stuff out and the kids are doing all sorts of stuff and then we come in and we're like oh to the field so you can learn how to yeah. ride your bike and you're, <laughs> yeah <"Hey>, yeah we're... <laughs> yeah and that's where, um, you know, I guess I want to finish off here and be respectful of your time, but that yeah. this idea that the coach is still important and, you know, and it, thinking of yourself as an environmental like architect, right? That's yeah, something you talk yeah. about, um, you know, that it's still important and thinking, you know, about safety and, and how yeah. you're progressing someone towards their goal, but it's, it's maybe in, in the order or the amounts of some of these, these ingredients that we've used in coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so. I think I, for sure. And I, I like to think of it. Yeah. As more of a designer environments and a guide, right? Mm. doesn't mean you can't step in it, but you really, you know, you want to do a lot less of that than we, we use mm -hmm. traditionally mm -hmm. uh, talking, mm -hmm. instructing. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, I, I hopefully you've confused a few people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Straighten it out. I think we did a good job though of, yeah. of giving, uh, you know, some examples of, of thinking about it and hopefully, you know, some takeaways with that external focus and, and some of these yeah. ideas about yeah, like thinking about the race and the sure. environment. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if folks want to learn more, you have perceptionaction.com, which I'm sure yes. links to most of your, your things from your books, your podcast, your work, your consulting, mm -hmm. um, your shaky weights on Twitter. Yeah, I know. Which, it's which we'll leave that hanging with people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Rob Gray 29 on Instagram as well. So yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. The perceptionaction.com is the best one to go. We've got everything there. So cool. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rob. My pleasure here. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 